1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Happy Tuesday.
2: Thanks for hanging out with us today. Oh, yes, we are back. And guess who has a new Zoom background? I do, and not the fake one. It's actually decorated. It's pretty.
0: Wow, you're adulting. You know you're adulting when you actually organize your Zoom background.
2: Yeah, you know, I wanted something better. Maybe we'll take a picture and post it at LGT Show on social media so everyone can go follow and look.
0: It's really cute.
2: I have this fake plant that producer Vanessa thinks is real, but trust me, I don't even trust myself to have a real plant in this house.
0: Wow, I did think it was real too. That's really disappointing, Ryan.
2: Yeah, no, it's not. It's not disappointing. Everyone has fake plants.
0: I know. It is hard, but having plants is really good. Actually, we've talked about this, the importance of having uh, nature in your in your room uh, inside. Well, check so it just out. Just saying, go to uh, the LGTR archive for that because uh, we have you covered. We literally cover everything right here. We
2: do, and we got tons more to cover. What's happening in the headlines?
0: Oh uh, Well, First, uh, coming up on the show, the legislation announced that could help seniors in California living with HIV, plus transgender activist and change agent for LGBTQ plus rights. Kendall Stevens is with us to share her powerful story and work that will inspire you today to take action. She's with us in just a bit. You won't want to miss that. Uh, but first, as you mentioned, let's get into what's trending this hour. Florida Governor uh, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, proposed a new law that would fine big tech companies that de-platform political candidates. And as uh, NBC News' Carl Quintanilla said, uh, wouldn't it be cheaper to have them simply read the terms of service?
1: We're gonna take aim at those companies and pull back the veil and make sure these guys don't
3: continue to find loopholes and gray areas to live above the law. Uh, under our proposal, if a technology company deplatforms platforms a candidate for elected office in Florida, During an election, a company will face a daily fine of $100,000 until the candidate's access to the platform is restored.
0: And uh, speaking of big tech companies, this was big news today. Jeff Bezos is stepping down as CEO of Amazon. He will remain executive chair, though, and is going to be replaced by Amazon Web Services CEO Andy Jassy. I wonder what he did. I wonder what he did. (laughs) Either he did something and he's uh, escaping before it comes out or he's just done. He did. That happens too. Uh, He said this in a statement. If you do it right a few years after a surprising invention, the new thing has become normal. People yawn. That yawn is the greatest compliment an investor can receive. When you look at our financial results, what you're actually seeing are the long run cumulative results of invention. Right now I see Amazon at its most inventive ever, making it an optimal time for this transition. He's basically saying actually a lot of, Founder CEOs feel this way. Leave when you're at your t- at the top at the peak. Don't wait until it plateaus or goes down, which is smart, I guess. So we will miss him. No, we won't. <laughs> what? What do you? I don't know. Typically, about? you would say that if someone was saying goodbye, but I don't know.
2: Why would I ever say that about one of the world's richest men? I don't give a. Hopefully, he'll do day. more philanthropic things. Anyway, let's move on.
0: Next up, celebrating an early Yaz queen, the US Senate confirmed the nomination of Pete Buttigieg as the transportation secretary today. Buttigieg is uh, 39 years old, of course, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And big news he is the first Senate confirmed LGBTQ cabinet secretary. Huge. Congrats to Pete Buttigieg. And finally, the Biden administration said today that it'll begin distributing a limited number of COVID-19 vaccine doses directly to retail pharmacies across the country. They're already administering vaccine doses that have been allocated to states. But under the new program, the federal government's actually going to ship them directly to pharmacies and uh, they will be at Walgreens and CVS. So expect that very soon. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? So
2: you won't believe which celebrity turned down the presidential medal of freedom twice when Trump offered it. It's time for your tea report those pop culture stories trending right now. So, of course, it was our queen, Dolly Parton, who is now admitting that former President Donald Trump offered her uh, the honor twice, and she turned him down. She has insisted that it wasn't a political decision, saying, quote, I couldn't accept it because my husband husband was ill, and then they asked me again about it, and I wouldn't travel because of the COVID. Now, I feel like if I take it, I'll be doing politics, so I'm not sure. Of course, you know, she typically avoids politics, but is a longstanding ally of the LGBTQ plus community, and don't you forget, she donated a million dollars for the vaccine, and guess what? She still hasn't even gotten her shot. Um, She ended up kind of in this interview talking about that she doesn't do all of this for a she said, it'd be nice, but I'm not sure that I even deserve it. But it's a nice compliment for people to think I might deserve it. So, I mean, Dolly Parton is honestly just our queen. And no one, I,
0: I can't fight it. It's, it's happening at this point. I hope she gets this maybe from Biden and accepts it because she definitely deserves it uh, more than some of those golfers. But yeah, who wasn't even alive.
2: I mean, even if Biden did try to give it to her, I, don't, I think she said, like, yeah, I couldn't take it because it's, it'll seem like it's a political move.
0: Oh, I see. Well, I mean, we'll see about that. Now, coming up, we're moving back into politics. The GOP stimulus counteroffer explained. Emily Stewart from Vox.com is back with us for that next.
4: Let's go there with Shira
0: and Ryan, the new Channel Q after President Biden released his economic stimulus plan, Senate Republicans have put theirs out in an outline that they revealed yesterday. Ten Republican lawmakers laid out their six hundred and eighteen billion dollar proposal with less than a third of the funds in the one point nine trillion dollar rescue plan that Biden has introduced. What's going on here? Where will we land? Well, Emily Stewart is back with us who reports about all of this for Vox, Recode and the goods. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me again. Well, let's break this down. Uh, what have the Republicans proposed? What are they taking out? What are they leaving in? Sure. So I think kind of the headline here is Republicans want smaller. Um,
5: overall, but there are some kind of contours. They want $160 billion for COVID-19 vaccines and testing, which is in line with Biden's plan. They're also pretty in line with food aid, um, and some other behavioral health type stuff. Now, some things that they want, they want just smaller. So Biden has said he'd like to extend unemployment insurance, like the expanded unemployment insurance, extra money per week, he wants it to be $400 through September. What they are saying is that they want to do $300 through June. Right now, what we have is $300 a week through mid-March. So we have a little time to figure this out, not a ton. They also want to cut some child care spending, cut some money for school reopening. In terms of what's not in the proposal, I think the big thing here is state and local aid, which like is not a cool thing sometimes to talk about, but states, need money. And Republicans have really resisted this from the get-go in a way that is not entirely clear. Like Texas and Florida need money as well. It's not just New York and California. Um, And in fact, California is in a better financial position than they thought they'd be. Um, Republicans are also pushing back against the $15 minimum wage that was in Biden's proposal. Now you can ask what the $15 minimum wage is doing in Biden's proposal in the first place. It's not really COVID related, but this is a long-term democratic uh, priority. And so it seems like they're trying to at least message this and maybe see if they can push it through.
2: Yeah. So what's the disconnect here? Because economists are urging us to not be conservative with, you know, this plan, right? We do need to kind of put a little bit more in so we can kind of figure this whole thing out. But is it an ideology thing that Republicans are just not connecting with? Like, what are they believing? And and why are we seeing them do the things that they're
5: doing? Like, it's just confusing. It is confusing. I mean, You can argue about the exact amount on the bill, but it feels like the general consensus, at least when I talk to economists, is like, the real risk here is not doing enough. We saw in 2009, Congress kind of passed a recovery bill, and Democrats really thought they'd have another chance to do it, and they didn't have one. And the recovery was longer and slower, and so people are saying now... Like, why not go big? Interest rates are low. We are not so worried about the deficit. We're not so worried about spending. And I talked to one economist and he was like, you know, we need money to bridge us to a post-COVID world. The problem Mm -hmm. is, like, we don't know when that's coming. And so we can continue to, like, kind of undershoot it. But why not? Like, what's the harm in overshooting it? Which I don't think we're really at risk of
0: doing. Yeah, definitely. Again, you're hearing from Emily Stewart from Vox right now. Um, And also a lot of people are talking about and debating this even today, the $15 minimum wage. And here's Lindsey Graham actually uh, talking about that today.
2: What a
4: $15 hour minimum wage has to do with fighting COVID, I don't know. But I do know this. Now is the worst possible time to increase the cost on small businesses in South Carolina in the restaurant hospitality industry.
0: So that's his take. So was this uh, something that the Democrats were doing that they just tried to slide in? Is this a big part of what is needed to get through COVID? I mean, I don't think it's necessarily needed to get through
5: COVID. But this is something that a $15 minimum wage is popular. If you think back to the election last year, it kind of got mixed and everything else. But Florida, for example, voted for Donald Trump for president, and they voted to pass a $15 minimum wage. Democrats are aware that this is a popular position. And, like, why not try and do this, even if they don't get it through right now? Like, this is something I mean, it's logical, right? People want to make more money.
2: Let's be clear here, $15 minimum wage still isn't enough. Um, But it's also not alarming that Democrats will throw something in this because didn't Republicans and always Republicans kind of throw in little things that they want to get kind of taken care of in bigger bills like
5: these? Like, who knows if this will end up in the final bill? Who knows if Democrats will wind up going with budget reconciliation, which is like a different process where they just need 50 votes which they actually probably can't put the $15 minimum wage in. But at this point, it, like it, at the very least, it's like important to kind of remind people of democratic priorities.
0: Okay. Well, that was Emily Stewart, who's a writer at the intersection of business politics and the economy for Vox. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Coming up on the show, legislation was introduced to ensure access for older people living with HIV. Equality California joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. California Senate Senator John Laird has introduced the HIV and Aging Act, which would update the definition of greatest social need in the Welfare and Institutions Code to include older people living with HIV. Joining us, tell us why this is important, is Josh Dickney, who's the Deputy Communications Director for Equality California. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Sharon Ryan.
0: Uh, So why is this legislation so critical right now? This seems to be something really good that has been needed.
1: Absolutely. Well, there are a lot of compounding kind of uh, circumstances that make this bill really important this year here in California. Um, One is uh, the pandemic that we're living in. Like, let's go ahead and recognize it. Um, Older folks living with HIV, not only in California, but across the country are experiencing um, incredibly high rates of loneliness, uh, depression, other behavioral and mental health issues. Um, And so we recognize that as an important need for this legislation. Um, But but basically, you know, during the height of the pandemic, um, those survivors now of HIV are well into their 50s. In fact, most people, about 50% of people living with HIV now are over the age of 50, which is incredible. But unfortunately, um, you know, our social service system hasn't kept up with those people and hasn't been able to provide for those people. And so we're seeing that kind of gap in services essentially. Um, And we, back in 2017 and 2018, we worked on a bill to make sure LGBTQ folks were um, prioritized in receiving these uh, really essential services, um, especially for our seniors. Uh, But you know, it's time, it's time to make sure that older Californians with HIV um, are prioritized when receiving These um, you know services for aging and elder folks.
2: I think the thing that I kept seeing pop up, and even Shira said it was a, a California's greatest social need. What is the current definition of that, and why didn't it include older folks that are living with HIV? Right, like how does it need to expand?
1: Absolutely. I, I think we're addressing how it needs to expand, right? We just add in there folks living with HIV. But what the uh, this kind of definition of greatest social need means is it's essentially characteristics um, of individuals in, in our state who have a physical, mental, um, perhaps language or cultural quality that makes them in, in specific need of prioritized and targeted services. It essentially means that these are who our fo- our state is really going to focus on. And you're you're exactly right. It's been a much needed bill, right? It's past time for this to happen. And so we're excited that Senator Laird has introduced this bill this year. Um, as far as, you know, around the country, we'd love to see other states do this. Uh, California, should we pass it, would be the second state uh, behind Illinois who did this in 2019. Um, mm. but we're working with some great, uh, groups from across the country, namely SAGE, uh, who advocates for um, older folks living with HIV specifically. Um, And so it's very possible that this will spread across the country.
0: Definitely. Again, you're hearing uh, from Josh Dickney right now, who works with Equality California. So with that said, um, is this going to be implemented? Like, at what point does this actually happen?
1: Yeah, it's it's got to go through the you know sometimes uh, long and arduous process that is the state uh, lawmaking process up in Sacramento. Um, we we really struggle to see where anyone would have opposition to this. So our plan is to advocate fiercely for this uh, policy, advocate fiercely for the older Californians living with HIV, Um, get this passed this year and into law, you know, as soon as possible in 2022. That's our goal. Uh, Stay tuned, follow our work, um, obviously, uh, because, you know, we're, we're at the Capitol every day working, working to make sure we pass bills, not only for folks living with HIV, but all LGBTQ people.
2: Yeah, because I even think about the intersection of this, right, and how black and brown folks are disproportionately even more affected than our non-people of color. And so how is that really highlighting these services right here, even kind of targeting the, those folks who are kind of left in the shadows?
1: Absolutely. And let me just take this opportunity to, you know, wish everyone a happy Black History Month. Um, As a BIPOC person myself, uh, working with a lot of BIPOC advocates on this and other legislation, um, we absolutely recognize the intersectionality of this. Essentially, when we're talking about the HIV community, we are talking about people of color. We are talking about older folks. We are talking about queer folks. Um, And so the intersectionality of this bill cannot be ignored. We, um, you know, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But, you know, like I said, um, over 50% of the folks uh, living with HIV now are are over the age of 50. Uh, That means a disproportionate amount of those people are also people of color, um, are also, excuse me, older people of color, um, are older queer folks. And so, you know, we know that through our work, um, in fact, last year, we passed a bill to make sure that people with HIV aren't discriminated against in insurance coverage and we saw the same thing right it would disproportionately um help (laughs) uh people of color and and that's who we're going for so like i said when we're talking about folks living with hiv and aids we're talking about color
0: josh dickney you are great it's been great having you here we know you're on the morning beat a bunch uh but hopefully you can come back to let's go there
1: absolutely i i I love you i love you all so much so thanks (laughs) for having me on
0: that was Josh Dickney from Equality, California. Coming up on the show, a journalist is being dragged for mocking AOC's traumatic confession on IG Live. More on that next. Let's go there
4: with Shira and Ryan. The
0: new Channel Q. Journalist Michael Tracy's tweet has sparked controversy for referencing emotional manipulation when he described the content of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Instagram Live. So she spoke for more than an hour on Instagram on Monday night, describing her experience during the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. And you'll hear this clip right now and just a trigger warning uh, for anyone who has experienced uh, trauma or assault. But she did open up about. What she experienced, and she revealed that she is a survivor of sexual assault. These folks who tell us to move on, that it's not a big deal, that we should forget what's happened, or even telling us to apologize, um, these are the same tactics of abusers. And um, I'm a survivor of
4: sexual assault. And I haven't told many people that in
0: my life. Um, But when we go through trauma, trauma compounds on each other. So uh, that was really difficult to hear. And you could hear the emotion in her voice. Um, And then this guy, I don't even know where this guy came from. He tweets, this is a masterclass in emotional manipulation, a genuine political rhetorical skill. Got to hand it to her. And well, uh, that didn't go well. Michael Tracy,
2: he's been around for a while back in 2017. Uh, here's a clip of him literally harassing Maxine Waters and basically saying that he uh, that she shoved him, but that's not true at all. If you actually see the video, but here's the audio.
1: He said Russia's not our friend. Was Obama mistaken to forge military cooperation with Russia in Syria and to f- try to get a star treat?
3: You and I have a different agenda, young man. I'm out to I'm out to impeach this president. Get
4: that straight. I'm out to impeach the president. I'm not going to be
2: diverted by people who Obama hate <laughs> So, yeah, this guy, like I said, has been around. He's honestly known as kind of this creep reporter who loves to do everything he can to, like, go against women. And my thing is, one in five women, according to data, are sexually assaulted. And It just seems like at this point, it's just wrapped in this misogyny and it's completely disgusting.
0: I think this brings up this bigger issue that we have in this country. um, And I would even say worldwide, but specifically this country, this lack of compassion and empathy, this um, lack of really caring to understand someone's experience and dismissing their personal experience, right? And saying um, that, well, it hasn't happened to me, so I don't really get it. And therefore, I don't trust it. And I don't need to hear it, which is um is abusive and it's like it, it in its own form is harassment.
2: My thing is no one is
0: saying that And it's gaslighting by the way. That's pure gaslighting.
2: Yeah, so no one is saying that you know <laughs> AOC uh should be believed because of trauma because he tweeted something else like good to know that any loopy delusional expounded by a politician must now be respected and believed under the a- uh ages of trauma. Yeah. And it's just it's it's completely ridiculous. I think her story also has kind of been corroborated by half her staff and other members of Congress. So it's just like at this point, how many times do women have to continue to tell their stories and still be labeled that they're lying? It's absolutely ridiculous. And we really should get rid of folks like this person. Like, let's not even give him the time of day at this point like he's verified on twitter and it's just like why you don't deserve it or even respect the privilege of having that
0: yeah and of course this brought up um more about tara reed who is joe biden's sexual assault accuser we're gonna be talking more about that later on the show uh but next up the ridiculous request coming from biden's press office more on that next on what's trending this hour let's go there
4: with shira, shira and ryan the new channel q
0: Coming up on the show, Kendall Stevens, the transgender activist, joins us next to share her powerful story as she continues to fight for trans women of color. And we've got, of course, what's trending this hour right now. So let's get right into it. President Biden shared why he signed so many executive orders. And it all makes sense.
4: There's a lot of talk with good reason about the number of executive orders that I've signed. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Um, what I'm doing is taking on the issues that 99% of them, that the president, the last president of the United States, issued executive orders I thought were very counterproductive to our security, counterproductive to who we are as a country, particularly in, uh, in, uh, in the era of immigration.
0: Well, he said it, that's for sure. I mean, it's it's really that easy to understand if you're wondering.
2: I think it's such a slow, and we'll probably start seeing this more and more, it's such a slow news cycle that people <laughs> are going to literally complain about everything. He might tie his shoe the wrong way or the dog might poop in front of the White House. Who knows? It'll be a scandal, though.
0: Well, speaking of which, actually, reporters have recently complained about White House press staff asking for questions ahead of time. And doing so, they're saying would give the appearance that reporters are working with the administration. The White House didn't deny the allegation and said it was a normal part of running a press office i actually didn't really know this and i'm assuming with the trump administration they were not submitting questions and anytime the media was trying uh or they were trying to control the media people spoke out about that for good reason so i feel like we need to hold this administration accountable to that as well
2: um i don't think it's like them trying to control the narrative. I think it's one we get asked that all the time and I honestly hate it. Like I I will not be sending over questions in advance. Like mm-hmm. just deal with what it is. Um but I think they're trying to normalize what it used to be like right before Trump because there was an order of doing things and so I understand it. Um but yeah, I don't think reporters should have to give their questions ahead of time. I don't think that's fair or necessary.
0: Well, yeah, because uh, obviously if, if he doesn't want a question asked, they could say, just don't ask that question. That defeats the purpose of the question.
2: Yeah. And if you're prepared to answer the question, you're prepared to answer the question. That's really all it ends up being.
0: Now, uh, polling by Terrence Higgins Trust as part of the start of HIV testing week found that while 58 percent of LGBT people report being previously tested for HIV, the same is true for just 16 percent of heterosexuals, even though straight people made up 38% of those diagnosed with HIV in 2019. And as a result of lower testing rates, straight people are more likely to be diagnosed with HIV at a later stage after their health is already suffering. More than half the cases um, are in heterosexual men, and they're diagnosed late compared to an overall rate of 42%. The coronavirus crisis, as you can imagine, it has made this more of a problem, with a report from Public Health England warning last month that among those testing for SDIs and HIV, heterosexual and particularly in the case of HIV, teenagers have been underrepresented since April 2020. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Now, you might want to be careful
2: if you're doing this new TikTok trend called the Silhouette Challenge. Uh, it's time for your T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So, Shira, if you're not familiar yep. with this trend, because I don't, this is not something that I would see you doing, Um, it's basically basic, it's basically placing like a red filter over a clip of yourself gyrating naked or semi nude. So it appears as if their shadow is dancing seductively. Right. Um, I think I've seen some humor ones where like they're doing something else, like, and instead of being like all sexy and stuff. But anyway, a PS- Oh, I should do that. Right, you could do that. A PSA from a a female photographer on TikTok is warning women and others of the dangers of this new trend.
5: Make sure you're being cognizant of what you're wearing before you actually do all the editing for the final product because anyone can easily take those images
6: and revert them back to the original.
2: So creeps on social media have discovered how to remove the filter, revealing the posters bare naked or partially clad bodies. They've also posted tutorials on YouTube and elsewhere showing other creeps how to do the same thing. I mean, people are calling for social media platforms to remove those videos because it's becoming a huge consent violation. Twitter's already scrapping several of the accounts that were editing the TikTok videos. This is so gross.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I have seen this. I was debating what my take would be on this, because I do think it's hot and beautiful and like, own your body, have fun with it. And, uh, but this, like, what has come out about this is crazy, Uh, and I can't believe people can figure that out.
2: That's wild. Well, it's men always ruining things. They're always being creeps and and doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Exactly, stop sexualizing something. Um, But that's your T-Report. i got more coming up next hour.
0: Now coming up on the show, while you keep on over-explaining yourself and how to stop, I don't want to even explain why we chose that topic that's next. Let's go there with Shira
4: and Ryan, the new Channel Q. If you
0: ever find yourself over-explaining things, and even if you're aware of it after the fact, it has become a default. Well, here to help us understand why we do this and how to stop is Allison Obrega, a therapist in Oakland, California. Thanks for being here.
6: Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
0: So first, let's ex- uh, explain what overexplaining is. Just in case people are like, "Well, I might be this person, but I'm not sure." I feel
2: like it's literally in the t- the name of.
0: It. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, w- to what extent is an overexplainer? Like what, yeah, explain that for me. <laughs>
6: So I think yeah like if you find a hard time setting a boundary like we, if if no is hard for you to say remember no is a complete sentence so there's no need to justify your reason for why you're deciding to do you know something or not do something so I think if you find yourself feeling guilty or like afraid of hurting other people's feelings, then yeah, you're probably an over explainer. And um, like Ryan said, it's really just in the name itself. If you're just over explaining when you don't need to, then you're an over explainer.
2: So what's the balance of one, owning your power and owning that no is a period statement and not kind of feeling bad, right? Not feeling like Mm -hmm. you have to make the extra explanation here. What's that balance? Because you don't want to be like an a-hole.
6: Yeah, no, definitely not. We don't want to be going around being a-holes to just anybody and everybody. It is a really hard balance to strike. And I think like, you know, it takes a lot of practice and really knowing your own values and your own truth. And so I speak with clients a lot of the time about if you find yourself over explaining like what, what are your values, right? Like what, what are, is, is like the truth behind your own self-worth. And a lot Hmm. of the times, we might have low self esteem or low self worth because of past trauma past experiences whatever it may be right because there's a v- variety of reasons why we might over explain ourselves but really you know honing in on your your inner self and and what are your values and what are your truths and if you know being more direct and being more assertive is something that you value then that's okay right like assertive communication is a healthy way to communicate so i think it's really knowing your own communication style and your own value. So you can balance like, when, when is this appropriate?
0: Yeah, again, we're talking to Allison Obrega, therapist from Oakland, California, about overexplaining, uh, and And you talked about this, like, where does this come from? Why is it hard for some people to, um, you know, and, and I find myself, I feel like I'm a competent person, but I've had a hard time with this type of communication as well. I've, I've had to really work on it.
6: Yeah, definitely. So it could come from you know a variety of underlying issues or reasons. I think one of the more common ones I see is um, there's this trauma response called fawning, which is a little bit of a newer concept. We've all heard of flight, fighter or freeze. Um, but fawning is a trauma response in which a person reverts to people-pleasing in order to keep themselves safe. You know, They're reverting to people-pleasing, over-explaining themselves to diffuse conflict, feel more secure in relationships and really to earn the approval of others, right? And so if we're wanting to approve the, uh, pr- earn the approval of others, chances are we're going to over-explain the reasons why we're doing things. Um, and so this is something, yeah, definitely. Again, like it's something we really need to work on Um, and if you're generally an anxious person, um, who has experienced some type of trauma, then this is something that you probably see yourself engaging in. So I kind of think of over-explaining and people-pleasing, well, they are two different things. Like, they usually go hand in hand.
2: They're like eyebrows. They're not meant to look the (laughs) same. Um... (laughs) I yes. also think what's interesting and I want to know how has the pandemic impacted overthinkers, right? Our overexplainers. Mm-hmm. Um because our it's an emotional roller coaster and I can only imagine it's gotten worse.
6: Definitely. You're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things about overthinkers and overexplainers is, you know, they may not like that empty space and have a hard time of sitting with that discomfort of disappointing people, and and we have a lot of more empty space and downtime in this pandemic, right? Whether we like it or not, and so I think you know really being able to sit with the disappointment of, of disappointing other people, because that's just the reality in our life, and so. Because this is such a hard thing for people pleasers and overexplainers to do, the pand- pandemic, we've definitely seen an increase in these behaviors of folks because they're just thinking about it a lot more.
0: And just tips to stop overexplaining.
6: Yes, definitely. So when you catch yourself like apologizing or over explaining, just like pause, take a breath. Remember, like no is a complete sentence, like don't feel the need to have to respond or react right away, right? Like with all of this downtime, like we're not going anywhere. So like just take a minute, right? take a minute to respond, Um, give yourself permission to feel and name your feelings, right? I think this is Mm -hmm. something we really struggle with. Like, if you are feeling guilty about something, or if you're feeling like you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, that's okay. But like sit with that and like name that because once we are aware of it, we'll better be able to take action on and not engaging in this people pleasing behavior. And I think lastly, um, just, you know, think about where in your life you've been invalidated, right? Where maybe you've been gaslit, because this is where this behavior is coming from, too.
0: All right. That was Alison Obrega, a therapist in Oakland, California. Thank you so much.
6: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, coming up on the show, a transgender activist and change agent for LGBTQ plus rights. Kendall Stevens joins us to share her powerful personal story of advocacy for trans women of color. Let's go there with Shira
4: and Ryan. The new Channel Q.
0: Transgender activist Kendall Stevens was attacked in her Philadelphia home by a transphobic mob. The incident made headlines and she's had the courage to share her story in order to support other black trans women. She joins us right now. Thank you so much for being here uh, and for everything that you are sharing. Uh, The piece that we saw in Huffington Post was so powerful. So it's an honor to have you here. Thank you, I'm I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. And and how has your activism changed since that moment? Why has it been so important to share your own story? Uh, It's important to share my
3: story because people need to know the realities um, of what was happening in the transgender community. You know, um, I say all the time that um, we are your neighbors. Um, we pray in your synagogues and your churches, you know, with you on the highway, uh, driving and re- in the grocery store in the checkout line with you. We are part of your community, rather if people want to um, admit to that fact or not. And um, people barge into my home and and beat me in front of my uh, godchildren. Um, they didn't realize that those children now are traumatized. You know, one is so traumatized that she has living nightmares. It needs um, deep therapy. And um, but of course, now I'm also traumatized, yeah. you know, so there's that, you know, and when you're home, your safe space is no longer that, it really speaks to the American people in a, in a way that where they can frame now the transgender experience um, and, and relate that to changes coming, you know, changes that are needed, you know, because I have people who said to me um, since my attack, I never even considered the transgender experience. It's not part of my life. You know, it doesn't um, affect me in any kind of way. But when I saw, you know, what I, what I, what I saw with you and your attack, it moved me. It, it moved me to, to advocate for you. You know, it moved me because I couldn't imagine someone bursting into my home. And that's what ended up happening. And, of course, you know, initially the police were not very supportive. You know, so I was uh, re-traumatized. You know, so what's, what has happened, what has changed with my advocacy work is that I've used my heroine ordeal to um, promote education mm. um, about what exactly is happening in, our, in a trans community and using my story to shed light on our plight.
2: You know... Where does that empathy come from, right? Because after hearing, seeing headline after headline of a black trans woman dying, after knowing one personally, and one of your Philadelphia sisters, Dominique Remy-Phils, um... It just feels like for me and how I would internalize that is be like, I'm tired of explaining and fighting for people to understand my uh, humanity. So I guess what continues to give you that empathy to to see people um, enough that you want to continue to educate?
3: This is my charge. Um, we don't have many people who are trans identified who have the strength they're dealing with myriad traumas and abuses to be able to stand speak up and stand up um because they're just too afraid you know they don't want to expose themselves to the public and you know i my, my life is actually in danger as we speak you know my accuser just got bailed out um she knows where I live um you know so even today I was uh you know plowing some snow and looking over my shoulder mm-hmm. now who do you know has to do that who do you know today shovel snow in front of their properties, they had to look over their shoulder, fearing that they may get killed, fearing that they may get assaulted. But see, that's my reality. And I don't want that to be a reality for anyone else. So it's my charge. It's my calling to make sure that I break down these barriers of oppression in my uh, community because I want those uh, trans people coming up um, behind me to be able to live in a world devoid of all of the rife injustices that I have to deal with, that my community has to deal with as trans people, they will have a different existence than what um, than, than what I'm experiencing, than what we're experiencing right now, but that takes um, a lot of bravery, you know, because um, we are under siege. The transgender population is currently under siege and we need all hands on deck, all capable hands, all willing hands, all able hands. And it's my charge and my resilience Tells me to keep on fighting and my empathy comes from people inserting them, their, their, themselves in my life and very critical times in my life where i wanted to give up where i wanted to throw in the towel there was always a protective factor um, a teacher a professor um, a faith um a member a, a community member you know um sometimes a stranger you know helping mm-hmm. me at critical points in my life so even though I was placed on a trajectory of Frisk, they veered me right back to uh, one of uh, safety, where I was able to kind of recalibrate because as trans people, we are constantly hyper vigilant, yeah. looking behind our shoulders because even in
0: daylight, every corner for us is a dark corner. Well, Kendall Stevens, you are just a force to be reckoned with. We're going to continue having you on right after this because we want to talk about what we can all do to create some change right now around what is happening that is next. Let's go there with
4: Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q.
0: Transgender activist and change agent for LGBTQ plus rights. Kendall Stevens joins us again. Also, just a reminder, she's amazing. She's on the board of directors also at the William Way LGBT Community Center in Philadelphia. Thanks again for being here, for sharing all of you. You You're an inspiration, to say the least. Uh, We were talking about what is going on, of course, with the transgender community, trans women of color. And, you know, the American Medical Association, and you talked about this in your Huffington Post piece, in 2019 deemed the fatal violence against transgender women an epidemic. Puerto Rico issued a state of emergency after an increase in the assault and murders of trans women. How can we take action around this right now so this doesn't keep happening? First and foremost, it's very important
3: that um, we have allies, supporters who know our struggle and are able to access spaces that we have been uninvited to. Um, we don't have power or privilege, um, especially as Black trans people. Whatever power or you know that we that we get is uh, borrowed. You know, um, someone has lent that to us, and then we're able to have our voices amplified in some way. You know, so our um, allies are are essential workers, so to speak. Um, And I would say that they do, first of all, as an ally, they want to break down those barriers that keep us from communicating with each other. You know, for those who may be ignorant or or biased um, towards trans people, who would not normally have a conversation with us, they become our conduits. Um, I would say like an intercommunal um, uh, conduit where they're able to bridge those communications uh, between us and other people because you cannot heal what you cannot reveal. And people have a lot of untrue narratives about trans people that quite frankly, are very harmful and dangerous yeah. that, 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 that are leading to violence you know, so um, they're able to kind of ease um, those conversations. And I think once we have these healing conversations, then we can start to uh, move on and maybe accept one another's differences. Because at the end of the day, besides the fact that I- I'm trans, um, I know for a fact that I have much more in commonality with people than I do and dissimilarity. And once we kind of understand that, we we're, we're going to realize that why did why are we so up in arms over a personal identifier or two that really just makes this person a unique individual? It should be something I should be fearing. It should be something I should be embracing and understanding. So, but that only comes from unteaching uh, negative and toxic behavior, um, unteaching untrue stereotypes and type, typecasts. We have to do it. And then what we do is we help people learn the, the authentic truths of who we are. And
2: that's how you want. I I think that's so beautiful. And I want to wrap this up with you talking specifically to the Black trans folks and queer folks out there, right? The people who want to be so involved and fight for their sisters and their brothers and their non-binary siblings. If they don't don't feel like they can be an activist or an advocate, how can you encourage them to feel comfortable doing what they do in the best way that they know how?
3: First of all, we can advocate in very different ways, myriad ways, and it can be very subtle. You know, it can be subtle enough as you putting on a she, her button, you know, or a trans is beautiful mask, you know, while you're walking out Um, and and just being visible. We have to understand that the reason why this has been happening, because first of all, um, even though the HRC, the Human Rights Campaign have been tracking uh, fatal, of uh, violence towards the trans community since 2000, and I believe 13. This has been happening for a very long time, uh, you know, for, for decades. It's just now gaining a bit of um, you know, notoriety, if you will. So we've already been used to um, coming up missing um, and then ending up dead um, and attacked uh, with impunity. So I tell people be visible, and you're gonna find your strength from other people who are trans and gender not conforming, also being brave in their truths. You have to be brave in it. And it takes sometimes you looking at other people who are being brave because you see someone living authentically, unapologetically.
0: That somehow emboldens you, gives you permission to want to live in yours as well. Well, you are definitely doing that. And it was beautiful to have you on today. Uh, You inspire all of us. So thank you again. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was Kendall Stevens, transgender activist and change agent for LGBTQ plus rights based out of Philadelphia. Now coming up on the show, what Halle Berry is telling her son and challenging him to rethink gender stereotypes. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. Should you really start wearing two masks? Will that make a difference to protect you? And we've got more on the GOP counter stimulus offer that has been pitched and where we could possibly land. Are we going to get $15 minimum wage? We're going to explain that and that possibility in just a bit. This hour.
2: You know those uh, two masks? I wear them already. Like, that's just something I do. But I will say, it does make it harder for you to breathe because they're really intense. It's, <laughs> yeah, it is. You're a really trendsetter, Ryan.
0: You were wearing them before uh, Fauci talked about them.
2: Well, my mom, I have to say, my mom told me to do it. So there you go. I'm, I'm back
0: being a six year old. Well, I knew it would happen at a certain point in our relationship. <laughs> All right, let's get into someone's shredding this hour. Governor Andrew Cuomo will allow local governments to decide whether to add restaurant workers to the vaccine priority list. This comes one day after calling it a cheap, insincere discussion.
3: If a local health department, county government wants to add to their one, what's called 1B prioritization, if they want to add, Uh, developmentally disabled facilities, if they want to add taxi drivers, Uber drivers, uh, restaurant workers, they can do that if they think it works within their prioritization locally.
0: Well, it seems like uh, he learned his lesson. Instead of, uh, you know, deciding he's going to make that decision, just throw it on the local government. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it has been nearly three and a half years since Hurricane Maria, a Category 5 storm that made landfall in Puerto Rico, causing an unprecedented amount of damage and death. They've since struggled to recover from the devastation caused by this natural disaster, and the Trump administration chose to withhold as much as $1.3 billion in federal funding that was meant to aid Puerto Rico's recovery efforts. Well, now the Biden administration announced that it would right this wrong, and they are pledging to release the funds and eliminate hurdles to aid uh, what the Trump administration had put in place. Uh, So that's a bit of an early Yaz queen as well. And finally, U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's already under fire for her support of QAnon conspiracy theories and so much more, has announced her co-sponsorship of a bill to ban flying of what she calls, quote, hate America flags. And that includes pride flags at U.S. embassies. The bill, it's uh, called House Resolution 85, also called the Old Glory Only Act, would prohibit the display of anything but the American flag at embassies. And uh, Representative Jeff Duncan, a South Carolina Republican, is the primary sponsor. He has introduced the bill several times and it has gone nowhere, but it's getting more attention right now because of Greens participation in it. That was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment
2: News, Ryan. Okay, so here's something really cool that I'm dedicating to you once again, Shira. Um, More more than 170 Black and Jewish entertainers, including Billy Porter, Sharon Osbourne, and Tiffany Haddish, are joining forces to combat racism and anti-Semitism. Is that it, Semitism?
0: Anti-Semitism, yeah.
2: Yes. So it's time for your tea report those pop culture stories trending right now. So there's this new organization called the Black Jewish Entertainment Alliance that launched on Monday. So the BJEA is releasing a unity statement that will run in magazines like Variety and Billboard. Here's what some of the statement says. It says the Jewish community must continue to speak out against racial injustice and work to affect change while the Black community must continue to speak out against all Forms of anti-Semitism, which I love wow. this. I think this is so cool and powerful um, yeah. to to know. One that there's so many Black Jewish entertainment uh, entertainers. <laughs> no clue, but it seems like it's Black entertainers and even Jewish entertainers who are coming together to make some change.
0: Like, yeah, what? two groups who have been ostracized and murdered uh, over time. And saying that we're not going to stand for it, and, and, and we are stronger and more powerful together.
2: Yeah, honey, you know, growing up in high school, I only knew one Jewish person until I moved out here, and then I I met so many. Um, but the organization hopes to put on events that showcase the Black and Jewish communities' mm. fight against hate and aims to elevate voices within the entertainment industry to better inform the public about the causes yes. and effects of racism and anti-Semitism.
0: Ryan. I'll- we should come together and approach them cuz we, we like represent everything that they represent. I mean, right?
2: One of the celebs <laughs> that did sign on, of course, was of course Nick canon um you know he received major backlash last summer after making some anti-semitic comments he has since apologized but i'm all about that we should really actually uh hop in on that because i think that's really really cool and there's even for me there's still so much that i want to learn about the jewish community because like i said i only knew one jewish person and he didn't even talk about being jewish
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone has their own way of being Jewish, but uh, this is really cool and uh, it'll be interesting to see what else they do. And I think we're going to see more of this um, as we continue to talk about what uh, obviously not just equality, but I think that fighting against hate and hate speech uh, yeah. and uh, how we can come together against that.
1: Yeah.
2: So that's your T-Report. If you want to check out any of these stories, head over to weirdchannelQ.com And of course, keep us followed at LGT Show Everywhere.
0: Let's go there with Shira
2: and Ryan, the new Channel Q.
0: Wrapping up the shows we always do with our yes queen of the day. Yes queen. Another shout out to Pete Buttigieg, transportation secretary officially and the first out LGBTQ cabinet secretary confirmed by the Senate today. Yeah, so I know a
2: lot of people may have thought that he uh, he was already confirmed, but no, he was a nominee, which was historic. But now it's even more historic to have him in the position. Um, and I'm interested in seeing what he gets done and how he handles being a transportation secretary. I mean, honestly, still don't know what that does or what that even means. But hopefully, he fixes the the streets and the trains and the airport. I don't know anything that's transportation. <laughs> Change Trains and
0: Automobiles. Yeah. Oh, my. Exactly. Wow. I can't believe you got that reference. That was cute. Now, uh, finally, less than two years uh, ago, nurse Judy Schneider left her job at a North Carolina hospital, but now she is back on the front lines because of the pandemic, giving people shots of the COVID-19 vaccine. Now we've heard a lot of these stories, nurses who retired but came back to work because of everything happening right now. And we are honoring one of those individuals today. She said, I didn't think anything would make me want to come back. She retired after 29 years of working, but then COVID happened. She says the vaccine rollout happened, and I realized I could help. After months of being quarantined, it's exciting to be able to help. She is 65 years old. She planned to travel the world, but for now, the world can wait. Uh, She also said this is the best nursing job I've ever had by the way, she works uh, 15 hours a week right now. She said the people coming in for the vaccines are hospital workers and they are so happy, so thrilled to be getting it. That makes it fun. So, shout out to Miss Nurse Judy Schneider and all the other nurses and frontline workers who continue to do the work and then come back out of their retirement. I mean, come on. Yes, Queen. And that does it for our show today. But we'll be back tomorrow, uh, same time, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, live right here on Channel Q. On tomorrow's show, uh, we're going to be talking about why protect all Black women isn't just a slogan and the real work that must happen. Uh, plus, will President Biden achieve something no other president has? And that's an end to food insecurity. That and more on tomorrow's show. And if you miss any of our interviews or our show today and you want to, you know, catch up, just find us as a podcast on the radio.com app. Search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he is covering how to improve sleep and sleep hygiene. Okay, I'll be listening. That's next. Bye, y'all.